0: We're going to see today in Moses' life there was something in his life that that he didn't get control of and it cost him it caught cost him greatly. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. Look at it with me. It says, "Don't sin by letting anger control you." Now, in in the book of Genesis, this is why it's not in your notes, but this is why God told Cain, "Sin is crouching at your door, and it seeks to master you." But you must master it. Like, meaning, like, there's sin, sin desires to control you. But you got to get it into control. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, get control of it. You probably know what you're talking about if they are your neighbor, too, right? Just don't call it out, okay? But y'all know what it is. I don't know what it is, what's controlling you. But But if you don't control what's controlling you, it can be very costly. Anger is, now, let me be clear. Some anger is like... Anger is sometimes an appropriate response to things. It's not always a bad thing. However, uncontrolled anger is always wrong. It's always wrong, and it always will cost you. And the Bible, the Bible says that sometimes anger is an appropriate response. Sometimes it's actually helpful. But most of the time in our lives, it is harmful. Let me show you a few verses about this in the Proverbs. There's a lot about it, but let me give you a few. Proverbs 25, 28 says, If you cannot control, someone say control, if you can't control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls, open to attack. He says, you're defenseless. You, you, you're, people are going to manipulate you. Do you realize every time you say, well, you made me, you are basically saying and admitting that other people have control in your life. Well, you made me. Well, then that means that person is controlling your life. You're admitting that they are stronger than you. You make me. That means they have the ability to control your emotions. You're admitting I'm defenseless. You make me defenseless like a city without walls. You control me. You're controlling what's happening inside of my heart and life. Proverbs 12, 16 says this. A fool is quick-tempered. Anytime I have like a hair trigger, you know, temper, I'm a fool. I'm foolish. But a wise person stays calm when insulted. It's wise to just let it roll off your back. A wise person stays calm when insulted. I want to talk to you today specifically about anger's control on our life. And before you check out on me today and say, well, this one's not for me, there's (laughs) something's control. I I just want you to get control of whatever is controlling you. But before you do, because I think some of you are like, oh, I got this one good. Let me talk to you married people real quick. Okay, let's get real, all right? Have you ever had a disagreement with your spouse and... And, and the disagreement turns into an argument. And then the argument turns into an argument about the argument. you know what I'm talking about? So you never really talk about the problem or the issue or the disagreement. You're just talking about the way that you're talking to each other and arguing to each other. And because you always, and you shouldn't say, and you always think this. And, and it's just not about the argument. So if that's ever happened to you, this message is for you. All right, man. And for those of you that maybe aren't married today, how about this? Have you, have you ever said something you wish you could take back? Have you ever did something you wish, oh, I wish I didn't do that, out of frustration? Okay, then this message is for you, sir. This message is for you, ma'am. Let me give you some facts about anger that I found, though. The average woman loses her temper three times a week. Someone could get in trouble. He's like, is that all? <laughs> you. Just, <laughs> Oh, goodness. Check this out. The average man, six times a week. Aha, see, ladies, you got them, Got them. Women get angry more often at people. Men get angry more often at things. Computers, cars, mechanical things, right? Women are more verbal with their anger. Men are more physical with their anger. Which I don't have enough time. Oh, if you got... <laughs> hmm. This one was interesting. Single adults express anger twice as often as married adults. I would not have known that. The place you're most likely to express anger is the home. You're, you're more intensely, you know, close to those. It, the people who can hurt you most are the people that you are closest to, that you love the most. So I don't most of us, we don't normally think of Moses as a man with a violent temper, but I believe, and I'm gonna show you today that the record, the record reveals that. Moses never really got complete control over his anger issues. Now, if, if a man like Moses who struggled with anger, if he struggled with that, that should give you a little peace and hope, man. That we, with whatever you're struggling with and got, whatever has control and is pulling the strings in your life, it should get, look what God did. How, who God used in Moses. Man, could he use us. Amen, somebody? Amen. However, on the other hand, I hope it shocks us into realizing as well the terrible ramifications of uncontrolled anger In our life, and I hope this is a wake up call for some of you today. Let me go back into the story of Moses and show you kind of what the record reveals, and maybe some things that you've just gleaned over in Moses' life that you didn't know. This was something in an area of Moses' life that he didn't have full control over. So let me show you. If you've been with us over the last ten weeks, it's kind of a refresher of some of these some of these verses. But let me show you where it showed up and how it showed up. What types of anger? how it showed up. Okay, write these down. Here's the first one. The first one was anger at injustice. He had an injustice anger. Who who here has ever got angry at injustice in the world before? Anyone ever see the injustice? It's okay. This is like one of those okay things. You get angry. In fact, I think you should, if you're not getting angry when someone is being hurt or abused or when someone is being mistreated or there's a lack of justice somewhere, if that doesn't anger you, then you have a love problem okay? So we should get angry at the injustice in the world, but the question is this. What are you doing with that anger? Some people justify their their abuse or harm or blowing things up or, or, or raiding, raiding businesses or whatever for the sake of justice. No, that is a sin. Bottom line, that is sin. And Moses revealed this injustice anger. He, he's... Um, about 40 years old in Exodus chapter two. And he goes, remember, he's raised in the palace now as a prince and well-educated, good communicator, handsome dude and all that. And he goes to check out on his, his people. Exodus chapter two says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. So he's looking at their, how they're being treated, right? And he's looking at, at their hard labor and he saw an Egyptian beating the Hebrew one of his own people looking this way and that, though, he saw no one, and he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Justified murder. Look, he he murdered. This was murderous anger that he had. And I think we read over that like, oh, you know, it's just a Bible story. No, that was he he justified killing a man because of the actions that this man was taking. And even though Moses was well educated, you cannot educate. Your anger out of existence. So here we see Moses at the kind of the beginning of his story. There was, there was this injustice anger. How about this? Write this down. He also displayed unnecessary anger. How many of you ever that get you? Anyone ever get angry? Anyone ever just get triggered and you're like, dang it, why did I just, why did that trigger me? You know, and Moses had this unnecessary anger moment. It was actually between the ninth and tenth standoff with Pharaoh. And God already, so here between the ninth and 10th standoff, there's all these plagues and diseases and God's like showing. God tells Moses, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to listen to you. And that's actually my plan because I want to reveal my glory and my power amongst all the nations, that they'll know who God is. And so God tells Moses this, yet Moses goes and he says, hey, let my people go, goes to the whole spill again. And then Pharaoh hardens his heart and he responds very hard to Moses. Yet Moses, even though he knew how he was going to respond, he responds in a very aggravated way. Look at this in Exodus chapter 11 with me. This is what Moses replied to Pharaoh's hardness. He told Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, all these officials of yours They're going to come to me, and they're going to bow down. They're going to bow down before me, saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you after that. Then I'll leave. Then Moses, hot with anger. You ever been hot? You ever been like like your neck red right here, and your face all flushed? He was hot with anger, and he left Pharaoh His blood got to a boiling point. We might say he was fired up, right? In fact, if you look at the Hebrew of this word, hot, it's actually the strongest available word in Hebrew for the word angry. There is no stronger word. He was furiously hot, but why? He already knew going into the situation that Pharaoh was gonna be hard. Moses couldn't handle the assignment merely to give him the message. He proceeded to give him a furious expression Beyond God's intention and desire, it was unnecessary, hot, boiling anger. I don't know if anyone here has ever been unnecessarily triggered where you look back and say, man, I I don't know why I responded that way. That was just way above what I needed to do. That was Moses, uncontrolled, uncontrolled anger. How about this one? Here's the third type of anger, destructive anger, destructive. So you guys remember, Moses climbs the mountain to receive from the Lord the Ten Commandments right and these are the, this is the law of god etched in stone and he's up there if you remember from one of our previous messages in this series we actually talked about this he's taken too long up there and the israelites are like oh, we don't know what happened to this fellow moses so Aaron build us this golden calf let's let's make a god for ourselves they build a golden calf and they start dancing and prancing around and even practicing obscenities around this world this idol this calf and so at the height of their party Moses goes down okay to check on them cuz they're making all this commotion and it's like at the height of, of the party okay Moses steps in there Exodus chapter 32 verse 19 it says when Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing so they're just they're acting crazy man look what it says his anger burned there it is again did you ever realize that as you look through these and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now remember, these tablets, they were written by, by Yahweh, by the almighty God himself. These were the most precious documents that mankind has ever had in their possession, ever Imagine if you were to be given personally a document that was penned, authored by God, and it was given to you and entrusted to your care. That's what Moses had. And because he was angry, he breaks them before the people. Should he have gotten angry? Absolutely. We call this righteous indignation, right? It's a sure, there's, there's things that you should get angry about, and but what we do with that anger and how we process that anger is what we're talking about and what's important. Isn't it interesting, though, we maybe heard this story about Moses. I don't know how many times you guys have probably heard it, but maybe you've never stopped to think that this act of Moses was simply an act of an out-of-control temper. In fact, like when he goes back up the mountain, the next time he goes back up the mountain, God tells him, because he, he broke the commandment. So God goes, okay, Moses, you, you etch out of the mountain the tablets yourself, and then I'll write the text. Because the first time, God took the, he actually broke the tablets from the mountain himself, so it was almost like he was saying, look, I made the first one, you can do it yourself this time, okay, Moses, you do it yourself, and then I'll write it, okay? And last, the most dangerous kind of anger, which catches us up to kind of where we're at in the story today, is rebellious anger. A rebellious anger. So now let's pick up the story of Moses where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about caught between two thoughts, that these spies, these 12 spies, went into the promised land, remember, and, and they believed the wrong report, man. All of Israelite was infected by doubt and disbelief, and they did not trust God that he was giving them the land and was going to, to bring all those Canaanites and all theites right into their power, and they were gonna do it. They, they looked at the giants instead of looking at their their God. So God punished them with this 40-year wandering period. One day for each of the years that the spies went into the promised land to inspect and explore the land, 40 years. And he said, for everyone 20 years old and younger is going to pass away, okay? It's at that point, it's kind of like towards the end of that point that we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 20. And I'm going to back up all the way to verse 1 on the screen here to show you the context. It's kind of important. Y'all okay with us reading a lot of the Bible today? Amen, somebody. <laughs> Numbers chapter 20, verse one. Look what it says, because it's kind of important. Check it out. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. Look what it says. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, this is Moses' sister who died. And, and so I, I, I point this out because sometimes the anger that you're feeling is just, is just the manifestation or the expression of something deeper in your heart. See, Moses is grieving right now. He said, and one of, the, one of the ways that, that maybe you, you think you got an anger problem, but it's not an anger problem. Actually, there's, it just reveals, your anger reveals that there is a hurt or a need deeper in your heart. And so Moses is, is, is you're gonna see, he's, he among other things, he's grieving, he's saddened. He probably is even reminded of, of this curse that's on them this 40 year wandering period Miriam dies because they actually couldn't walk into the land so here he's he's sad he's he's hurt and here's his sister is 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 dead he's grieving now there was no water look what it says now there is no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. So again now, he's got to deal with these people. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the, Lord, the Lord's community into this wilderness? That we, in our livestock, should die here. And here they go again. Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible wilderness why, you, why do you do it? Is, it is, there's no grain, there's no figs, there's no grapes, there's no pomegranates. This is familiar for Moses, but I'm sure it gets irritating after so much, right? I don't know if you have any people in your life that are repeating cycles and patterns, and after a while of the same thing they're butting their head against, and it just is, does it? Am I, am I alone in that? It's just irritating for Moses here going, oh my gosh, when are these people gonna get it? And the Lord, look what it says, that 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 uh, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of the meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Now Moses did the right thing. This was a great step. So Moses went from the critics. He went from in place of the critics to the presence of God. He, was, he went from standing in the, in the place of the critics and gossips to the glory of of God, which is what you have to do if you're going to get control of what's controlling you. You can't stand in front of your critics and gossips. you got to get back into the glory of God, okay? Don't stand there and combat back and battle back. Go get in the presence of God. Go get in the glory of God. This is what Moses did. It was a great step, but let's look at it some more. It says, they went and the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak so the rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. We actually sang about that, honey in the rock, right? Water in the stone. That song we sang was actually about this, this story, water in the stone, you guys. So he's like, it's a pretty clear, pretty clear instruction, right? Command, in. like, go speak to it. And then the water is gonna come out of that rock. You're gonna bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. There we go, step one. He's got, he's, all right, he's got the first part of the command. Take the staff, okay. Check. Just as he commanded him, He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. Check two. Right on, man. Good job, Moses. You're following the orders pretty good. And he said to them, listen, you stiff-necked, sorry rebels. Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Did did I miss something, Moses? Because... I didn't see that in the exchange here of what you were supposed to give to these people, a cutting message like that. I didn't see. Where did that come from? His anger. That's where it came from. Listen, you rebels. And then look what he says. Must we, there's almost a hint of blasphemy here. Must we bring you water? out of, now this was God's miracle. This is God's, and here he is like, like angry and upset, like cutting them with his words and saying like, must we, me and, me and Aaron do this water from the rock miracle thing for you guys? Then Moses raised his arm and look what he says. God said, speak, very clear. God raised, Moses raised his arm and struck the rock, not once, but twice with his staff. Now, to be honest, I don't even know if Moses thought water was gonna come out. Honestly, maybe Moses didn't even want water to come out of it. Maybe he, was, maybe he wanted these Israelites to finally get a taste of what they, finally die like they deserve in this wilderness. Hurry up with this thing, God, because I'm on, the promised land is waiting and all they gotta do is die. Let's let them die. Maybe he wanted them to die and he strikes that rock twice because that's definitely not what God said. So he strikes the rock twice and look what it says. Water gushed. Out. How amazing, what amazing grace, the grace of God that even when we don't do things the way that we should or how we should, that God's grace is still going before us. What amazing grace, God's the water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But God didn't overlook Moses' rebellious heart and his rebellious action. Look what it says. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough. Remember that. Because what you did, it revealed something, Moses. You didn't trust in me enough, and you didn't honor me as holy before my people. Because of that, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. If you don't control... What's controlling you, it'll cost you. And when I've read this, though, in the past, and maybe you have, you can sympathize with this. uh, When I've read this, I have always thought this was a little harsh. Anyone in there like agree with, like, this is a little harsh, man, maybe even severe. All he did was beat the rock. At least he didn't beat them. I would have been like, shut up. What's the matter with you people? You know, he didn't do that with the staff. guy. He hit a rock. It's a rock. And he doesn't get to go into the promised land now. But as you see the story of Moses, you see that God tolerated Moses' anger, patiently working with him. He honed him. He tooled him. And still Moses let his anger flare. He had been losing his cool, at least from we know from what was written, since he was 40 years old. But we probably know, knowing human behavior, he was probably an angry child as well. He simply never learned this lesson. So what can we learn from what God said? Here, write, these, write a few things down, then we're gonna get really practical, guys. An act of disobedience stems from unbelief. That's where it's coming from. Remember, he said, because you did not trust me enough. See, when you know God's will, listen, and you willfully move in another direction, that is unbelief, plain and simple. You're saying, God, I don't believe you. I, I don't believe your plan is best. And some of you are like, but no, I do believe. I just like mess up. Like, but I do believe. Well, maybe not by God's definition. Maybe you know, but you don't believe. Maybe you know God and you know about God, but by God's definition, like that's what God says. God is the one who said, look, your actions revealed that you didn't believe me. You didn't trust me. Here's the second thing it reveals. Disobedience diminishes God's glory. So here's what he said. You didn't honor me as holy in the sight of my people. You didn't honor me. See, you've encouraged these people to forget that I am holy. And this is especially important for all those who are leaders in the house of God or have influence in the house of God. James says, not in your notes, but in James chapter 3, he actually says that not many of you should desire or presume to be teachers because you know that those who teach will be held to a higher standard. Why? Because when we disobey, we dishonor the glory of God before the people that we were called to lead. Here's the last thing it kind of reveals for us is that forgiveness doesn't remove all the consequences, does it? It doesn't. Of course, listen, God will forgive you every time. But let's say that Unbroken habit that you have. Let's say that thing that is controlling you, that you don't have control over, eventually brings a reproach on the name and the glory of God. He will forgive that sin every time it is honestly confessed, but the repeated, that repeated sin's earthly consequences can be terribly painful. In fact, just at the end of the 40 year wandering period, you see. And this is almost hard. And I, can't, I couldn't teach this story of Moses without ending here. I know this is, a, this is a hard word, but this is how his story ended. This is the story of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 3, towards the end of their 40-year wandering, you see Moses, and it's almost hard to read. He's, he's begging God for another chance. Please let me go over. I want to see the land that you promised. Please, God, I want to see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill, the country of Lebanon. He actually did this three different times, but it says, the Lord was angry with me because would, uh, you would, because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Don't speak to me of this matter again. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you love to go back and time and maybe change some things you did or said? Does anyone anyone ever wish, like, like, like I wish I could go back and just, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I didn't, that's human, okay? And for those of you that are, like, super, like, spiritual right now, you're like, no, it just made me exactly who I am today. Like, stop it, <laughs> shut up, all right? I just, if you've, Come on, let's just be real. And like, there's some things that you probably wish you wouldn't have said and wish you wouldn't have done. Moses probably would give anything. You see his heart. He's like, God, please, Lord, if I could just have a do-over, if I could just only go back. But he couldn't go back. And we've been ironically reading for two and a half months now, these Israelites wanting to go back to Egypt. And here now, ironically, we see Moses. I could just go back. But you can't go back in a single moment of rage. Think of it. He forfeited his right to lead Israel and threw away the opportunity to enter the promised land. I wonder what Eve would give for another chance before the garden in Eden. I wonder what David would give to relive that night on a rooftop the first time he laid eyes eyes on Bathsheba. I wonder what Peter would give to go back and relive the night of his greatest failure, the betrayal of his Lord and Savior. The sad fact is we cannot go back. None of us can. We can't undo what's done, and we can't unsay what is said. We can't reclaim those moments that we were possessed by rage or possessed by lust or our hard-headed pride. Whatever it is that's controlling us that we don't have control over, you can't go back and change those moments. Like Moses, you may be forgiven for those, and thank God they are blotted out from our record when we get to heaven those are remembered no more how many are grateful for the forgiveness of Jesus that we it's blotted out but check it out I hope to add some weight here we may still live with the consequences of our words and actions on this earth so here's my two questions and then we're going to get really practical and I'm sorry for being a bummer today okay we're going to get practical in a moment i just got to i got we we can't talk about moses and not talk about this final We just can't, you guys. Here's the two most important questions, not on your notes or anything, but I think, what will you learn from it? What will you learn from your failures, from your mistakes, from from when you... Gave up your control, your authority, your power to whatever is controlling you. What are you going to learn from it? Are you going, is this going to be your story where that thing just pops his head up throughout your life until you get to a moment after God has been patient and worked with you and tooled you and honed you, but that thing finally, God says, you know what? I'm going to have to remove you now. You know what? I Enough. You can't have it anymore what are you going to learn from it and 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 the second question i think that's important from this is will you still serve god regardless i find that amazing about moses that even though he couldn't go to the promised land he still loved and served and led he still he didn't go it would have been easy to just go you know what forget it then what's the use if i'm not going to the promised land because he had his eyes set on a different land a different glory he was living his life not for an earthly home but a heavenly home amen somebody So what are you gonna learn? And will you still serve when the chastisement and the discipline of God will surely come on every single one of our lives? Every one of our lives. Will you still love him? Will you still honor him? Will you still serve him? So how do we overcome? How do we get control of what's controlling us? Let me give you some, now some really practical stuff. How do we do it? How do we get control of what's controlling us? Maybe it's anger for you today. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's pride. I don't know what's controlling you today, but you need to get control of it because it's costly. It's costly, and it's going to cost you entering. It's going to cost you entering your potential that God always had in imagined for you. So you're like, well, nothing can take the plans of God. You can. Yes, you can. Amen, somebody? Are you all right? I love you. I just need to, okay, how do we do this? How do we get control of what's controlling us? Here, write this down. Number one, man, you got to calculate the cost of what's controlling you. You gotta calculate the cost of anger because before you allow yourself to get mad back, you gotta calculate what you're gonna lose if you respond that way. Because I'm telling you, you're less likely to get angry if you realize there's always a price tag of me getting angry back. And the Bible is very clear, very specific about uncontrolled anger. Let me give you some verses, Proverbs 29 and 22. An angry person causes trouble. And a person with a quick temper sins a lot. So if I'm going to get angry, I'm going to have trouble, and I'm going to be dealing with sin in my life. Proverbs 14 and 17. People with hot tempers do foolish things. Proverbs 14, 29. Those who control their anger. Someone say control. Control their anger. They have great understanding. Those with a hasty temper make mistakes. So... If I get angry, here's the cost. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to sin. I'm going to cause arguments. I'm going to make trouble. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to do foolish things. Do I really want to get angry? No. No, it's foolish. I always lose when I lose my temper. You, you may lose respect. You may lose the respect of the people close to you and the people that, that, that you love. You may lose the love of your family. How many children want nothing to do with their parents because of the way that they mistreat mistreated, the anger and the boiling? How many disenfranchised, how many just relationships are broken and ruined because of uncontrolled anger? You can lose your job by losing your temper. How many people have been laid off and let go because they let off? You can lose your health by stuffing it down. And in fact, there's uh, there's 51 medical conditions that are directly attributed to anger. 51, that if, you're, if you have uncontrolled anger in your life, you are more susceptible to illness. In, in the short run, sure, you can maybe motivate people with your bullying and your yelling and your anger and your, your, your aggression. In the short run, maybe you can get a little bit of return on that, but in the long run, all you're gonna get is more anger, more apathy, more alienation from people. So how do we over, how do we get control of what's controlling us? Calculate the cost. Number two, Look past their words to their pain. This is so important no matter what, how you apply it. You don't respond to what people are saying. You look to why they're saying what they're saying. Proverbs 19, 11, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to what? To overlook the wrong, the offense. You know, hurt people hurt people. And when somebody's hurting You, it's because they've been hurt and they're still hurting. So unkind people are just people who don't feel kindness. Unloving people are just people who don't feel love or loved. So when people are lashing out and they're angry and they're frustrated and they're lashing out at you, which they're really saying, you got to look to the why. The why of what they're saying is, I don't feel loved. I don't feel secure. Because secure, loved people don't act that way. Secure, loved people aren't rude. Secure, loved people aren't cruel. Secure, secure, loved people, they don't yell and bully. Secure, loved people, they're generous, they're gracious, and they're kind. Come on, amen, somebody? Amen. Here's a myth. Everybody's probably been, I've, I've talked to so many people that have gone to like psychologists and, and counselors, and there's a myth going around that I need to expo- expose. It's, kind, it's just flat out wrong. If you believe this myth, you're gonna struggle with anger your entire life. And the myth is this, that you have a set amount of anger in your life, like, like an anger bucket, And then when the bucket gets full, modern psychologists and modern counselors tell you when your bucket of anger gets full, you need to empty that bucket by expressing it and pouring it out. Then when the bucket is empty, you feel kind of cathartic again. So go scream and cuss and yell and tell off the air. Just tell it to the air, you know, just act like you're telling it to that person and, 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 and scream. You'll feel cleansed because you've gotten rid of all your anger. Listen to me, that's baloney. That, does not, that is, does not work. It is not biblical. And the reason why it doesn't work is this. Because you don't have a bucket of anger in your life. You got a factory of anger. Okay? And, and the factory can keep producing and producing and producing. And when you get rid of that, you'll get more. In fact, the more anger that you throw out there, the more your factory goes, hey, we're out and, and we need more of it. Produce, produce, produce. I'm telling you, you whatever you, you feed, you get more of and you're feeding the anger and you're feeding that venting session and, and you wonder why you're angry all the time. That's baloney, do not buy into that. Now look, David the psalmist, he, he, he talked to God and, but there's a difference between venting and, and scathing people behind their back and to God and inviting God into my heart as I express my hurt to him. It's a big difference. Look past the words to their pain you want to get control of this thing you want to get control what's controlling you okay number three think before reacting think when somebody gets you angry think before you speak right because let's get real y'all anger control is really just mouth control largely largely is what it is it's like it's like a control of my my mouth Proverbs chapter 13 and 16 says sensible people always think before they act Proverbs 29 and 11, a fool gives full vent to their anger. So, oh yeah, just vent it. That's what you need to do. Just vent it. No, that's not biblical. The Bible says you are a fool if you just give full vent. Oh, I'm just keeping it royal. Well, then you're a real fool is what you are. (laughs) That's what fools do. They give full vent to their anger. But look, a wise person controls that thing. They they got it under control. I'm not going to be mastered by that. I'm master of my emotions. I'm master of that. I'm going to quietly subdue. I'm not going to stuff it down, act like it's not there. That's not what he's talking about. Don't Don't act like it's not there. I'm going to master my emotions. I'm going to quietly hold that back. In Hebrew, the hold it back, it literally means to cool it, which is why we know it's biblical to say chill out. Chill out, bro. Chill out, right? Cool it. So let me give you three questions, not in your notes or up here or anything, but extra notes for you. Three questions to ask while you're waiting. Write these down if you're taking notes. Number one, while you're waiting before reacting, ask this question: Why am I angry? Why? 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 Think before we react. Why am I angry? We're gonna get the, the real why. Why does this really bother me? Number two, you got to ask: What do I really want? Okay, if this person is pushing your buttons right now, and you're tempted to be sarcastic back, uh, what do I really want from this relationship? And I'm t- why am I angry? What do I really want? And number three, how can I get it? Why am I angry? Why, why am I what, what do I? what do I want from this, and how can I get it? You ask those questions. You can't ask those questions if you immediately respond. Right. you got to pause enough and wait to, to analyze, and when you do, you're going to see that, that the Holy Spirit will show up. I'm telling you, blowing up and blowing off is rarely going to get you to where you want to be in the relationship. It isn't. It never, it never is the right response. You'll never identify the root cause. Okay, number four, number four, if I want to control this thing that's controlling me, ask for help from God. It seems very, you know, simple, and yet it's the last thing we do when we're angry, right? It's the last thing we would, we would first text someone or call someone or do anything else. Like, it's the last thing we do when we get, when we get angry, so we're going to practice this together. Look at Psalm 141, verse 3 up here. It's such a great verse to put into your mind when you start to get angry. Remember this verse. We're going to say this out loud together. This verse up here, Psalm 141, verse 3. ready? One, two, three. Lord, help me control my tongue. Help me to be careful about what I say. If I had time, I'd make you read that 10 times. I really would. Because... If we can just get that in our spirit, man, like before you, Lord, help me control my tongue. You know, like your tube of toothpaste, if you squeeze that tube of toothpaste, guess what's going to come out? Toothpaste. Toothpaste. It wasn't a trick question. Y'all are like, (laughs) I wonder what's going to come out. Toothpaste is going to come out of that thing because you put put toothpaste in it. Whatever is inside comes out. So the problem I'm facing here in life, I'm like, my anger and your anger, when you struggle with lashing out on people, you can't blame them. You can't blame your circumstances. You can't blame the government. You can't blame people because the problem is inside of you. The problem is always a heart problem. Pressure always reveals what's inside of you. I know we don't like that reality, but it's, it's true. Pressure always reveals what is inside of you. It's the truth. And we see these things coming out of our mouths and we go, well, I don't know where that came from. I do, it's in you. It was in there. It might, have been, it might have been beneath the surface, coming out of just anger. But in there, you had a need. You had a hurt. You had a problem. And it's coming out. Where did it come from? It was already inside of you. It was just dormant. The truth is, it came from inside of me. It came from inside of our hearts. So here's the question, James chapter 4. <laughs> What's the cause of all this anger, all this aggression, all of our frustration? What's the cause of all the fights and quarrels among you? Well, that's easy, Pastor. It's her. She's sitting next to me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not my wife. Where's she at? She ain't her. It's not her. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. Don't they come from your desires? Look at that battle within you. Okay, it's, so it's not them. No, don't come. It's not her. You said that. They didn't say that. They didn't do that. That came from in you. Like, oh, where's no, that going? No, that came from your mouth. That anger, that aggression, that, 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 that comment, that sarcasm. Where'd that come? That came from you. It came from inside of you. You wanted something, and you didn't get it. So you kill and covet, like Moses' murderous anger. But you cannot have what you want. So you get angry, and you quarrel, and you fight. Here's the answer. You don't have, because you don't ask God. Are you kidding me, James? Are you saying in the moment that I have this frustration that I'm supposed to deflate the energy of that situation and I'm even though I'm totally right, I need to pull away and ask God to inspect my own heart? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying here. How do you do that? You pray that prayer. Lord, help me. Like, get, don't don't let me speak before I think. God, help me control my tongue, God. Most important key. Here we go, number five. In dealing with anger. If you're going to get control of what is controlling you, you got to base your identity in Jesus. Let me tell you, this is so important. If you build your identity on anything that can be taken away, your job, your looks, the person you're married to, being popular, you're going to be insecure your whole life. Now, here's the revelation. Listen to me. Insecurity is the root of all anger. If you were secure in who you were and who you are, what they said or how they disagreed or what they're thinking would not irritate you so much to control that situation, control their thoughts, control, it wouldn't irritate you so much if you knew who you were. If I knew who I am in Christ, it wouldn't matter what you say I am. It wouldn't wouldn't bother me, irritate me and frustrate me as much, and until you start feeling secure about yourself, people are gonna be able to push your buttons. You're gonna be emotionally controlled, or the word is emotionally immature. When you know who you are and whose you are, nothing can touch you, nothing. They can't get to you. Anger and insecurity, that go together. The more insecure I feel, the more anger I am. I'm gonna to care too much about your approval or your disapproval. The Bible says this in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of human opinion disables you. So if you're worried about what other people think, you have an emotional disability, he says. You are emotionally disabled. If you're always worried about who accepts me and who rejects me and approves and disapproves, the fear of human opinion disables you, but trusting in God protects you. how does God help me overcome my anger you know because the problem's not out there it's in here He gives you a new heart that's what you need a new heart thankfully God specializes in heart transplants He gives us brand new hearts and, and new identities so so those things that have been controlling us they don't have to control us anymore they don't have to pull the strings and manipulate our life it's always a heart problem a boasting tongue reveals An insecure heart. An overactive tongue reveals an unsettled heart. A judgmental tongue reveals a guilty heart. You know the most judgmental people are the people that feel the most guilty. A critical tongue reveals a bitter heart. It always shows. What you're expressing always shows what's inside. A filthy tongue reveals an impure heart. On the other hand, an encouraging tongue reveals a happy heart. A gentle tongue reveals a loving heart. A controlled tongue reveals a peaceful heart. So you know, you know what you need to get rid of what's controlling you maybe your anger problem you need a new heart you need a heart transplant Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 48 look what it says <laughs> Jesus says grow up <laughs> quit acting like toddlers quit letting your feelings and other people manipulate and control you grow up your kingdom subjects now live like it Live out your God-created identity, not the identity someone else gave you. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way that God lives towards you. So I don't know what, what is controlling you that you need to get control over today, but I promise you the remedy is the same. What you need is a new heart in an established identity in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that when we make, that word Lord, like Jesus as our Lord, you know what that means. It means he's under control. So when I started the message, I said, who or what is in control of your life? Anything other than, I could have said it this way, who's your Lord? Who is your Lord? Who's controlling you? That's really what salvation is. That's what this whole Christianity and faith thing is. It's me saying, I'm not in control. I'm not going to control my life. I'm not letting you control my life. I'm not letting them control my life. I'm not letting this thing go. I I am controlled by you, Jesus. I'm under your control. Nothing else will control me. I'm going to live for you.